We don't know where we would have been had we stayed in the EU, but we can look at the other EU economies. And as most of them are not doing particularly well at the moment, it's very hard for anyone to claim that we would have been doing so much better than we are today. There have been many horrifying stories about the impact of Brexit on the UK economy in recent years, from fears about long queues at Dover to pharmaceutical and food shortages, and even small businesses struggling under the weight of new customs red tape. Yet, according to a new report published by the IEA this week, these, the latest official trade statistics are failing to show a Brexit effect. Welcome back to the IEA podcast. My name is Matthew Lesh, and I'm the IEA's Director of Public Policy and Communications. Each week, this podcast asks a tantalising policy question. Today's question, has Brexit damaged UK trade? To discuss, I'm very excited to be joined by Catherine McBride, who is an economist with over two decades of experience, a member of the UK's Trade and Agriculture Commission, and previously worked at the IEA on financial services regulation. She's also the author of the IEA's latest paper, Has Brexit Really Harmed UK Trade? Countering the Office for Budget Responsibilities Claims. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Matthew. So let's start there. What are the OBR's claims? What have people been claiming about the impact of Brexit on the UK economy? Well, the most popular one that you'll hear in the press is that the UK's GDP will fall by 4%. And depending on who says it, sometimes that's a year. Uh, sometimes <laughs> it's over a long term. But when you actually read the, GD, uh, the OBR's report, they actually caveat that by saying um, relative productivity to where we would have been had we stayed in the EU over 15 years. So they, it's a very hard thing to ever prove because we don't know where we would have been had we stayed in the EU, but we can look at the other EU economies. And as most of them are not doing particularly well at the moment, it's very hard for anyone to claim that we would have been doing so much better than we are today. We're pretty much in line with them. But the assumptions behind the EU's, uh, the OBR's report was that um, it would be a 15% drop in trade, which would cause, or at least partially cause, this drop in uh, GDP. So this is this idea, the UK trade slash with the EU was a result of new frictions with um, the, 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 tra- the block. That results in lower productivity over the longer run because we have a less specialised and dynamic economy um, And uh, from there. Now, of course, all of those estimates were done prior to Brexit actually happening. They they were done based upon models from the OBR and and various other organisations that do economic modelling. Your report, by contrast, looks at what some of the data has been since Brexit actually happened. Yes, the the OBR actually didn't do any of their own forecasts. They just did an average of forecasts from other organisations. And all of those, uh, in fairness to them, all of those organisations did them before they had seen the TCA, which is the Trade and Cooperation Agreement that the UK has with with the EU. And that gives us completely free tariffs, uh, tariff-free and quota-free trade with the EU, uh, which is completely unusual. Most people don't understand that when the EU does a trade deal with some other country, they continue to keep a lot of quotas in place, and sometimes they only lower tariffs gradually over many years. And so to get an immediate day one tariff-free, quota-free deal was unexpected, I think, by anyone who was doing those forecasts. We also have the the issue that um, sorry <laughs> does this get cut? There was something else I was going to add to that. Um, uh, so so you were saying um, 
Uh, the OBR doesn't do their own forecasting. Yeah, what, so what, what, why, don't, why don't I go back to my question and we just start yeah, that yeah, bit again? Okay. Um, so we'll, we'll restart. Uh, Catherine's just finished her first answer and I'll say, and uh, of course, a, a key part of those models is the fact that they were all done prior to Brexit actually happening based upon estimates of the impact of, of trade friction. Um, I'm wondering what your report has found by contrast. Well, the, the OBR averaged the um, reports that were done, as you said, before the trade and cooperation deal was signed. So they were done without realising that this would not be a typical EU agreement. We would have immediate access, complete immediate access. Usually EU agreements have uh, small quotas, especially for agricultural goods. They only lower their tariffs slowly over many years. So people were expecting a lot more trade friction, which just didn't happen. The other thing that they seem to have misunderstood is that the bulk of the trade done by the UK in goods and in services to a degree is done by large multinationals. And those large multinationals manage to sell their aeroplane engines or their Rolls-Royce cars or their JCB diggers to countries all over the world. They are completely familiar with filling in forms and doing um, rules of origin assessments or, or um, if they're doing food, they'll, they'll understand SPS agreements. So the idea that they were going to be bamboozled by trade friction just was a nonsense. I don't know why anyone thought that was going to happen. And so what have you found then? What, what are the, the results of the UK's trade statistics uh, since the UK left the EU? Well, in general, when you split them up and divide them between trade we do with the EU and trade we do with non-EU countries, you can see in, by industry and by in total, they both went down during COVID and both groups came up after COVID. Um, there wasn't an obvious difference, except in three or four sections where most of the products, both UK products and EU products, are now made in Asia. So you saw a big difference in, say, clothing and footwear, where our exports to non-EU countries continued to rise, where our exports from, uh, to EU countries fell. And that was because those exports aren't actually made in the UK. And the TCA agreement requires the goods to be made in the UK to be eligible for the tariff-free, quota-free trade. So if you're making your shoes in Vietnam, even if it's for a UK label, the EU counts them as Vietnamese shoes. But then so does the UK. So for a French clothing company that's making its clothes in Morocco or Turkey or Vietnam or Bangladesh, that also is not counted as a French import. So we saw both our imports and our exports in clothing and footwear go down and our exports of tropical fruit went down because hmm. we never grew tropical fruit. This or... is effectively the, the rules of origin where previously yeah. when we were part of the EU, if, if the UK... Um, imported tropical foods that were dropped off in the UK and then, let's say, driven across um, uh, to Calais or put on the train across yeah. to Calais, uh, it would then be counted as a UK export to the EU. Now it doesn't go through that process. It, the, the, the EU won't count as a, an export from the UK. Exactly. So it's, it's a change in, in the nature of the way we count statistics. But, but overall, what I, I thought was quite interesting about your report, it, it basically suggests that when you really look at across a whole bunch of different ways of measuring it, there is no substantive difference between the UK's performance with the EU and the UK's performance with non-EU countries. And, yeah. and I think your central point there, if, if I understand this correctly, is that you would expect to see some difference. If, if, yeah. if Brexit had led to a substantive negative impact on the UK's uh, relations with the trade relations with the EU and there was substantially more friction, you would see um, EU trade 
diverge from the rest of the world trade. We're probably trading less with the EU and more with the rest of the world by comparison. Yes, exactly. There has been some change in terms of, which I, I pointed out in recent op-eds we've done, where I noticed that uh, car imports from China have gone up massively by 800% since we left the EU, and they've dropped from Belgium by uh, a similar amount. And that is because Belgium, obviously Antwerp, was a big port for importing cars, and we were counting them as Belgium imports, uh, when in fact it looks like they were actually coming from China. Uh, we've also seen increase in Mexican cars, US cars, Japanese cars, South Korean cars, and they were all probably coming on container ships, unloaded in Antwerp, sitting on a lot in Antwerp maybe, and eventually being driven to some dealer in the UK, and we were eventually counting them as, as Belgium imports when they were never Belgium imports. It was just miscalculation. And it's kind of a similar thing. We, we see this statistics about how the UK's trade with Germany has fallen. Well, Germany's slightly different. Um, Germany has a lot of problems at the moment because it relied very heavily on Russian gas. So one of the bigger exports from Germany was things like chemicals. And BASF just can't afford to make chemicals in, in Germany anymore, or it couldn't last year. So it was closing down a lot of its production facilities. So if they're not making the fertiliser or the ammonia or whatever they're making, we can't physically import it from Germany. Um, we have to import it from China or wherever someone is making it still. Um, so German imports of cars, though, haven't been affected at all. And in fact, our total imports from Germany are up. Uh, sorry, our total exports to Germany are down because Germany can't afford to buy a lot of stuff that we make. They are buying, as we are buying, more stuff from the US because what they're buying is gas, just as we were buying gas, um, you know, and they're buying uh, more things from other countries who, are, who have the stuff to sell. But you can only export what you make efficiently. And the things they need right now, we don't make efficiently. We could make gas, and I did mention it in the conclusion of the report, but we are taxing oil and gas producers in the UK so much that there's no incentive for them to increase their production. So it actually, even the UK, is importing liquid natural gas from the US and from Qatar, which is much worse if you're concerned about the and environment. Climate change is worse, yeah, much worse. Indeed, it's much, yeah. much worse. Yeah. Um, so so the, other, the other question that you look at in the port as well is how the UK is doing compared to other G7 countries in terms of our uh, imports and exports. What do you find there? Well, I don't know why anyone uh, compares the UK to other G7 countries because we're all exporting different things. But one thing the UK is doing better than most G7 countries is uh, exporting of services. We are now the second largest service exporter in the world, and in the most recent update of the ONS figures, which happened after this report was written, we now export more services when you deflate for inflation using CVM, because I know my detractors like me to use that. <laughs> um, uh, service exports are slightly higher than our goods exports. So if you're going to compare us to other G7 nations, you have to compare all of the things we trade, not just the things that, the goods that they want to compare. But the people doing the best in the G7 are the US and Canada at the moment because they're exporting gas and oil and uh, grains and all the things that have seen a price increase since the Russian embargoes. Um, Germany, France and Italy, I don't think are doing particularly well they're all seeing their imports gone up enormously. 
Some people mistakenly think that trade intensity is somehow a measure of your economic um, uh, prosperity. It is not. It is purely the proportion of your exports and, and imports added together uh, as a proportion of your GDP. And Germany, France and Italy have all seen their trade intensity increase by 10 percentage points in the last year purely because their imports went through the roof, <laughs> not because their GDP is stronger or their exports yeah. are doing well. They just both, all three of them are importing a lot more gas and oil than they were before. Let's, let's get into some of the criticism of your work. I think it, it's obviously, as I'm sure you understood when you're writing this, quite yeah. controversial to make a claim that Brexit hasn't had a meaningful impact on, on UK trade, especially compared to a lot of the stories we hear um, in the media. Now, one of the criticisms has been that your report contains um, current rather than inflation-adjusted figures at a few points. I was wondering if you could explain why you didn't just use inflation-adjusted everywhere in the report. Um, well, personally, I prefer to use uh, current prices because they are the most accurate. Current prices now are taken, 90% of them come straight from HMRC because they are in charge of charging tariffs and so they want to know what's coming in and what's going out. And um, so we're getting accurate information with current prices. Once you start manipulating the data, and the first manipulation is usually to remove precious metals because it is it does fluctuate and it can give a false impression of our overall trade picture because it's, it's A, very expensive and B, comes in big lumps. So that's usually the first big, thing big people remove. Big lumps of gold, yeah. Yeah, big lumps of gold. Actually, very small lumps, but very valuable lumps of gold. Yeah. Um, so that's usually the first thing people remove. And then the second thing they do is they deflate it. Now, in the report, we use all three. And in all three, the, our trade with the EU and our trade with non-EU countries have pretty much moved together. The only difference was on our imports, where like Germany, France and Italy, we also saw a massive increase in our imports from non-EU countries because all of the big suppliers of gas are outside the EU. That's Norway, that's US, that's Qatar, Australia and Russia, of course, but no one trades with them anymore. So that's the only thing that we're non-EU countries were up and in, yeah. in, whether you do it deflated, whether you do it full, full fat, everything, or if you take out, strip out the precious metals, um, it doesn't make any difference. That's, yeah. you know. Well, I think there's been some confusion is what your report says is that the EU and the UK have basically followed the same trajectory. It doesn't say yeah. that UK trade is yeah. um, in a particularly good or bad position. You're, you're making a comparative point. You're not making a point about the absolute terms. I mean, there is, there is the fact that in, in real prices, the UK imports and exports have, of goods have declined since 2019. Now, some people have said where some other countries have seen an increase in imports and exports. That might be a sign that Brexit is um, doing something problematic to the UK economy. Maybe it's disconnected us from global supply chains, so we're importing and ex exporting fewer goods and to all parts of the world as well as to the EU. So whilst it might not just be EU, also all parts of the world have been impacted by Brexit. Uh, yeah, the, the certainly all parts of the world have not been influenced by, by Brexit, but there are some strange supply chains. For instance, we a lot of our sales, one of our biggest sections of, of exports is machinery. And the biggest part of that machinery are aircraft engines. And aircraft engines, we actually sell to France and Germany. A lot of them go to, directly to France and Germany to be put into new planes. 
and recently Air India, who is not an EU country, put in a huge order for new planes. So the UK's exports to the EU will be up as we send the plane engines to France and Germany to be put into the planes and we'll send them wings and we'll send them seats for those planes. But they will see an increase in their exports to non-EU countries purely because they get the final end of the chain, if you like. So mm. they will be the last people to send it to India um, so that we won't record that as a non-EU export, even though that's where it's eventually going to end up. So you can, if you look at big picture um, statistics, you miss a lot of this nuance and there's a huge amount of nuance. In terms of us being outside supply chains, I think that's a bit silly. There have been a couple of weird things that have happened. Uh, people have got a lot more patriotic about eating British food. So supermarkets have worked out that if they stick a Union Jack flag mm -hmm. on, on meat, people will buy it. Some people won't buy it and will post <laughs> photos on Twitter complaining about it. Oh, well, some people might. But for a lot of the supermarkets are only doing it because they know it sells. Mm. And consequently, we might not be exporting as much meat as we used to because we're eating it ourselves and we're importing less. Uh, and I think that is happening in a lot of places, which is a good thing. I have no problem with that. But it's, um, it's not always we're not exporting, therefore people... If you look at the production numbers rather than the export numbers, there's no obvious drop in production in a lot of these, of these agricultural goods, which I look at quite... Um, what's the word? in great detail because I'm do I scrutinise the trade deals we have with the CPTPP countries mm. and Australia and New Zealand. Uh, so I have to look at what we're producing in agriculture and so far we're not seeing a big dive in UK production as we import cheaper goods from Australia or New Zealand. That at least isn't obvious. Yeah, so, so another area where you diverge from some of the other um, assessments of the impact of Brexit is compared to these um, doppelganger models, these models yeah. where they compare the UK's growth or incomes or whatever it may be from the last three or four years and they compare it to a set of alternative countries that they claim are the equivalent of the UK and those often show something like the UK has gone very far down where the other countries have gone up. What, why are your results on trades so different to um, the, these doppelganger models? Well, I'm comparing the UK with the UK because in the long run, all we can do is improve our trade with what we're good at. You can only really sell something that you have an expertise in. The doppelganger that I have looked at the closest, and Graham Goodgen has actually run an analysis on it, and it pretty much tracks the US. It's meant to contain a whole lot of countries, but US export performance has been so phenomenal and their economic growth has been phenomenal a lot of that is because the government's been pumping money into the economy for a long time, but we won't go there. <laughs> but that's dominating everyone else. Mm. So everyone else may, not, may as well not be there. But I would look at it because I look at what individual countries export. You know, the US is, is the biggest exporter of oil and gas at the moment in the world, bigger than Saudi Arabia. Um, and they're in, they are a big part of this index. They've also included, believe it or not, 5% of Australia. Now, Australia's biggest export is also coal. Um, and they also include New Zealand. New Zealand's biggest export is, is um, agricultural goods. The UK is a net importer of all of those three. And it's like, why would we be competing with major commodity exporters if we're a major commodity importer? Now, we shouldn't be. We have coal. 
We could export coal to China as well as, as Australia does, but we're not doing that. Mm. You know, we have oil and gas. We could be exporting that, but we're actually overtaxing our oil and gas companies to stop them exporting. And we could actually probably export more uh, lamb and beef, but we don't encourage our farmers to be more productive. We're in fact paying them to rewild and grow plant trees. So it's not by accident that we're underperforming these countries. It's actually by policy design. Now, I don't know who dreamt up these policies. I didn't, that's for sure. But we did. And you've got to assume that the population agrees with that. And so for an economist to therefore say, oh, we're underperforming the US, you'll go, well, they're fracking, they're big, big exporters of oil and gas. They're probably letting some people you know, build some homes yeah, and some infrastructure. They build a lot of homes. And, and you they're, know, they're just, just pumping we... money into their... Because our other big export is cars. And we had a lot of trouble exporting cars during COVID and in 2022 because we rely on computer chips that we import from China for the cars. We import a lot of computer chips from Taiwan for non-cars, but for cars. And that was a real problem for us. Now, the US is combating that by putting 51 billion pounds into bringing a billion dollars rather into developing their own semiconductor industry in the, in, uh, the US. And the EU is doing the same and South Korea is doing the same and India is doing the same. Hopefully there'll be a glut of computer well, chips. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. so, so we won't need to do it. But so you soon know. the UK will be a, an importing very cheap American subsidised microchips. Thank you, American taxpayers. <laughs> yeah. um, I just want your final thoughts. And uh, you mentioned that you're on the Trade and Agriculture Committee. You follow the UK's trade. We've been talking a lot here in the negative sense about uh, how the U Brexit hasn't hurt UK trade, at least not in the yeah. ways and as much as people have seemed to think it does. Come to that, though, what are the on the trade side of things, some of those opportunities from things like Australia and New Zealand deal, the CPTPP that's just going through Parliament at the moment. Um, will that make a substantial impact on, on the UK's trade? I think it will, definitely, because when you look at the sort of things we, we export, um, neither Australia nor New Zealand have a car industry. Both of them import every car and both of them are very reliant on... Um, on uh, vehicle transport you know they don't really have the extensive underground things that we have in the uk so you um you know that should be i'm we didn't get these um these agreements weren't ratified and in in um in force until june this year so i'm expecting we are going to see by the end of this year increased exports to australia and new zealand of things like cars uh, we've always exported a lot of JCBs to Australia for the mining industry, but um, I'm not sure that that'll increase because that's a, that either they either need more or they don't need more. You know, it's mm. not something that is really price dependent like a consumer good. Um, but the interesting thing about CPTPP is that there are countries in the CPTPP, such as Singapore and Japan, who import a lot of food, and so there is a chance where we could actually be exporting Australian food to those, uh, uh, exporting UK food to those countries because um, I think a lot of the food we produce is, is, is well regarded around the world and I think that, um, you know, people would like to buy British beef or, you know, really good yeah. cheeses and things like that. In the other part of it, of course, is food manufacturing is a huge industry in the UK. Oh, yeah. That, that's very much underestimated. If, if you're thinking about manufacturing, that's probably where the UK specialises. And it's very easy to export that, particularly if you get rid of some of the barriers.
Well, actually, we've always exported it. You and I both grew up in Australia, and we both grew up with Cadbury Schweppes. Yeah, sort yeah, of every yeah, yeah, every yeah. supermarket, every yeah, corner yeah, shop true, was full true. of all of their stuff and round trees and all of the, you know, the UK has been exporting sugar and chocolate to the world <laughs> for years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so that that will increase, but in a lot of those foods, it probably wasn't a lot of tariffs on them. Uh, and I think that people were buying them regardless of tariffs. I never thought twice about buying a chocolate bar as to whether, you know, a few cents cheaper would make a difference. But um, getting things like whiskey in at lower tariffs to, to places like India could be huge. And it will be to Malaysia as well. They have about 80% tariff on whiskey and Malaysia is part of the CPTPP. So there are... Um, some specific you know, industry there are spe- specific industries that'll do very well, I think. But, um, and and the final conclusion of your report um, is is a conclusion, and I think it's a warning. And it says ultimately Brexit hasn't had a major impact. It, it could potentially have a positive impact through these trade agreements, but uh, but a lot it's going to have a lot more to do with our domestic policy settings. Definitely about whether or not we're a successful global trading nation. Without a doubt, that is the that was the key point of the paper is to say yes, Brexit isn't having an effect. So because there was so much emphasis for the last three years on Brexit that people kind of neglected a whole lot of other things. And it is those other things that were really hitting our trade. Um, the, the shortage of computer chips, as I've said, for cars was, was hurting our car exports to both EU and non-EU countries, mm. so you couldn't blame it on Brexit. Um, the travel lockdowns were obviously hurt our exports of plane engines and wings and new seats and things like that and to EU and non-EU countries, so you couldn't blame that on Brexit. So we do have to look at our own domestic policy and how that encourages trade. The biggest problem I see at the moment is the increased corporation tax, because as I said, services are our biggest export right now, and they're very mobile. A lot of services don't have to be here. They don't have plant and equipment. They're not reliant on, say, you know, a, a, an oil well in the UK can't move itself to another country. It's got to be wherever the well is. But a bank, that's much easier to move. Mm. And it's also much easier to move just the headquarters, to move where the tax goes. Or an insurance company. Or an or insurance a company. tech company. Or and most else. of those companies are working all around the world anyhow. So where they run the revenue, where they move their headcount to, is, is pretty easy for them to do. And I think the government is is underestimating how, and it might not happen overnight, but I think you'll see gradually they'll be expanding the office in Singapore and letting the office in London run down. Um, and you can also, you can already see in the, in the service industry statistics, if you go into it really finely, you will see transfers from company to company. And they have, they were high-ish last year and our highest exports were to Ireland. We exported more intercompany transfers to Ireland than to the US, which in most service industries, the US is by far our biggest market. I wonder why that could be. Could it be uh, anything exactly. to do with uh, Ireland's <laughs> very low tax rate? Oh, tax no, rates. they just like the accent. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's why they're there for the beer. Um, and this year, it's even higher, and it's also doubled into to the Netherlands. 
So you're already seeing it that people are going to places where they're known for their more generous tax policies. Yeah. I mean, AstraZeneca might be the most prominent example of this announcing quite explicitly, because I think a lot of companies are just very quietly. They move yeah, things around. Yeah, quietly moving AstraZeneca money. said they, they were setting up a factory in Ireland instead of the UK. Yes. And, and the primary reason for that was the, the tax rate. Well, I think, um, Catherine McBride, thank you so much for joining the IEA podcast. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. If they want to learn more, of course, they can read your paper, Has Brexit Really Harmed UK? trade which is available on ia.org.uk if you're enjoying the ia podcast please do subscribe on your chosen podcast provider and look forward to seeing you again next week